We know that most Canadians feel helpless and alone on, on climate. Most Canadians think wrongly, I care a lot, but the other people don't. So most people feel isolated because they don't know that the people around them also care. And it's one of the reasons why talking about climate over and over and over again in almost every context is so important because then other people know that you know lots of people care. Another thing I would say to young people is, okay, so you feel like a square peg in a round hole? You feel that you don't really fit? Most people feel that way, or at least lots and lots of people feel that way. I certainly have felt that way most of my life. Dr. Diane is one of Canada's most respected environmental lawyers who has a Clean 50 award, a PhD in law, a law social medal, and many other acclaimed awards. She is an amazing individual, and I'm so honored to have her as the starting guest to this show. Diane was a popular environmental commissioner of Ontario in 2015 to 2019 on environment, energy, and climate. She now heads Sax Facts, is the host of the Green Economy Heroes podcast, and is the deputy leader for the Green Party of Ontario, and is the Green Party candidate in University of Rosedale here in Toronto. You're going to hear us discuss a lot of great and interesting and inspiring ideas about how people can take action to help combat climate change and i'm super excited for you to hear some of the guests that i have this season but i'll get to that later in the episode so let's enjoy this interview thanks for listening diane thank you so much for making time to speak with me today it's my pleasure to have you here on this well, it's my pleasure to be on your podcast i'm it's still del- i'm delighted to see so many people stepping up to talk about the the green economy we want to build, need to build, and we'll be so much better off if we have. Absolutely. And that's a key part of the type of conversations that I want to have is talking about that green economy and why it's so important and why we need to nourish conversations. So Dan, I'd love to hear from you now if you can share a little bit more with me about the Green Economy Heroes podcast. And the format of your own show and how that started and why you feel that these conversations are so important for people to listen to today. Well, thank you, Alex. I am grateful for the opportunity. I, as you know, I was the last independent environmental commissioner of Ontario. And after, uh, uh, and I spent a lot of time as commissioner traveling around Ontario and Canada, telling people, you know, basically bad news. Um, mostly about climate, but also about environmental destruction. And after Doug Ford abolished my office, I kept on doing that. And so I had a really full-time schedule still traveling around, talking to people about climate. And most of the news about climate is bad. I mean, I always ended up with, we can do things. But by and large, the news is bad and getting worse. And after doing that hundreds of times, I was getting tired of hearing myself just give people bad news. And then, of course, we had COVID. So 
uh, March 11th, 2020, I gave my last talk and then boom, here I was uh, with everything being canceled, locked in my little garage, uh, trying to figure out, okay, what do I do next? And one of the ideas I'd had for quite some time, but never had had time to do was that people, so many people are now ready to hear what's the way forward. When I started talking about climate, most people still needed to be told that we were in trouble. But by 2020, most of the people, at least who listen to me, already knew we were in trouble. What they don't see is a way forward that where there's a place for them. So I thought, well, there's a number of people that I'd run into as commissioner and in my travels who run green businesses where they make a living, create jobs, but are reducing our carbon footprint at the same time. And I thought, I bet people will be really interested in hearing those stories. Maybe there aren't that many of them. I figured I could find at least a couple of dozen and uh, that would hold me over, well, because of course COVID wasn't gonna last that long, do you remember back in 2020? So I started the podcast to do exactly that, to tell stories about people who are making a living building green businesses, local businesses that reduce Canada's carbon footprint, and I've been delighted to just keep finding more and more people doing it in more and more different ways that had never occurred to me. So I've just taped, I think, our 69th episode, um, which is great considering the average podcast only lasts seven episodes. So, so we're definitely doing better than average. And um, more and more people, I'm looking forward to you know, um, interviewing two new people next week. It's, it's very exciting. I think what you've tapped into there is really important, which is somewhat the idea of hope, right? I think that we're bombarded with negativity and a problem with climate change just seems so complex. What do you think it is that having a clear, concise message can also trigger action? Catherine Hayhoe has a new book called Saving Us, which I think is, is the last chapter in particular is really excellent about exactly this. How do we talk with people, how do we listen to people about climate and what allows people to move from fear and denial to action. And one of her key points is that people want a sense that what they do matters. In climate change, it seems so big and so complicated and so hard and so far away that most people think what I do doesn't matter. And that sense of powerlessness is tremendously destructive and difficult to bear. On the other hand, when people can see a solution that makes things better and that is something they could be part of, they can do something about, this is energizing, this is hopeful. And then once you're doing something, and we know that action is the best antidote to, to climate despair uh, and action with others is even better. So it's, it's exciting, it's invigorating, it's hopeful, and it gives us something concrete to do. So one of the fun things for me, of course, is as I'm interviewing all of these people, I, I, I've uh, many of them, I've ended up finding something I can buy from them, although obviously not the guy who makes um, transmissions for, for electric vehicles. But, you know, there's just lots of people selling big things, little things um, that give me an opportunity to learn what they're doing and see a new way of supporting this transition to the green economy and often ways that, that make things 
better in my life too. And then sometimes I get to introduce them to each other, which is also lots of fun because I've interviewed, for example, different people in different parts of the battery space and I've been able to put them together so they can help each other. And anytime you get to do something that makes things better, that's invigorating and um, makes it easier to sleep at night and makes it easier to get up in the morning. Mm, yeah, absolutely. It reminds me what you've just said, being able to introduce people and the power of networking. A quote that my mentor once said to me, which was collaboration is the new competition. And I think what you've just said adequately addresses that. And so do you see in the green economy right now evidence of collaboration and people sharing ideas you know I like to say to people hey look we're like both fighting the right fight right like we're both on the right side in this cause to try and reduce our global uh, carbon emissions do you think that there is a healthy environment of a capitalist nature right now or do you think that there could even be more so what is your kind of take on that for sure, there is tension between collaboration and competition, but I do see both happening. So let me give you an example of collaboration. Um, there's some wonderful people that uh, I know through the Climate Caucus, which is this fabulous network of municipal elected officials across the country who are determined to do their part um, for climate. And they've just launched something called EarthNet which anybody can set up an account for earthnet.world. And it's specifically to allow collaboration and sharing of solutions across Canada and even uh, uh, you know, outside Canada for people of all different backgrounds. So earthnet.world, um, they put a huge amount of work into getting that started. That looks like a, a great tool and platform for people to share ideas. A second thing that I've seen is we've seen more and more networks growing um, to help each other. So you see the mission from Mars, uh, Climate Champions, where the, uh, the Mars group, which is specifically to support innovation, has been putting clubs together, basically, um, of uh, companies to help each other and to be the focus of some, um, some mentoring and support. We see the investment groups getting together. We see more and more venture capital groups um, trying to really focus on clean tech and green tech and climate tech, um, and also introducing people to each other. Uh, either there's uh, Tom Rand's Arcteryx, uh, um, Nelson Switzer has a, a, a similar kind of fund, there's somebody else who's got one. And so there's more and more people in this space looking for how do we help the innovators break out and become a success. We have a lot of women working in climate fields and we know that not all women are like this, but on average, women care more about climate. Women perceive it more as a direct personal risk. Women take more seriously the risk it, it um, poses to our kids and grandkids and are on average, um, more willing to put aside their own personal ego and help each other. Um, we also see groups like SHIO, which have been uh, women putting in money to support small women-owned businesses. Uh, and a lot of those work on climate or environmental issues. 
So I do see quite a lot of collaboration. Is it enough? No. Is anything enough yet? No. We need more of everything. But again, to quote Catherine Hayhoe, I mean, she has a wonderful metaphor that I've been trying to, to share with people. Most of us feel we're pushing a boulder up a mountain by ourselves. And this is exhausting and dispiriting and almost impossible. And you can feel like giving up. Her point, and Alex Steffen makes much the same point, is actually the boulder's already on top of the mountain. There is so much torque building up because what we're doing now is literally unsustainable. It will break. It is already starting to break. So it's better to imagine the, the boulder's already at top of the mountain, but it's being held back by you know, fossil fuel companies and old habits and things. But lots of people already have their hand on the boulder to push it, to get it to start to roll. And all we have to do is add our hand to the thousands and thousands of other people who are already pushing. And if we all, more of us push, the boulder is going to start moving faster and faster. And once it gets going, it'll have a lot of momentum. And so I try to hang on to that and I try to share that as an idea because adding my hand to what thousands and thousands of people are already doing, that's doable. Whereas pushing up a boulder off the mountain by myself is not. One of the fun things about the podcast is that even within the business community, it is absolutely gobsmacking to me how many different ways there are of reducing our carbon footprint um, that I would never have thought of that people are doing and making a living at. I find what's really inspiring within the green economy is the ways that companies and social enterprises are reinventing rules and beliefs that have been formed and held in place for so long. Well, no, we can't change that. No, no, there's only one way to do this. Uh, just the idea of like bioplastics, right? Like, well, you know, people are like we can't get rid of plastics. Plastics are everywhere, and people are like, well, let's let's rethink plastics, right? Like, we can't if we can't fix it, like find a different way around. So I find that that's been quite innovative in the seat the technological developments in that front. Uh, I did have a follow up question to one of the things you were talking about, which is when it comes to the idea of gender and uh, differences between that, is there a piece of advice that you would give to say uh, a young female now, maybe someone uh, from a marginalized background who sees that a lot of the conversations are being dominated by people that they don't necessarily relate to, uh, whether that's mentally in their belief system or even physically, right? What advice, or say words of encouragement would you share for them to maybe maintain a career or a path forward that will help make a difference? Because a lot of young people want to make a difference, but I think that they have more anxiety, more depression, you're dealing with all these stress now, and a lot of them I think can feel that they're, you know, they're pushing that boulder, right? And we've kind of talked about this, but particularly from that perspective of that youth, what advice would you give? I guess the most important thing I would say is that you're not as alone as you think. 
Um, we know that most Canadians feel helpless and alone on, on climate. Most Canadians think wrongly, I care a lot, but the other people don't. So most people feel isolated because they don't know that the people around them also care. And it's one of the reasons why talking about climate over and over and over again in almost every context is so important because then other people know that you know, lots of people care. Another thing I would say to young people is, okay, so you feel like a square peg in a round hole. You feel that you don't really fit. Most people feel that way, or at least lots and lots of people feel that way. I certainly have felt that way most of my life. And, and so I think that there's a bit of the grass is always greener theory that, you know, maybe other people feel comfortable. Maybe other people have, um, you know, just know what to do. Well, most other people, lots of other people don't know what to do or feel comfortable. So it's just part of the work is to keep going anyway and to look for opportunities and to keep raising the issue and to keep trying. I, um, most people don't have a straight line career. Most people don't know at the beginning what they're going to end up doing and have to pivot and take advantage of what happens along the way and to rebound from setbacks. That certainly happened to me. It's happened to almost everybody I know. It'll might happen to you too. Don't take it so personally. If you can, just, you know, give yourself a break, then get up and try again. Somebody said to me, if you're really tired, don't quit, just rest. I just listened to a podcast by Jay Shetty yesterday. I'm not sure if you're familiar with him, but um, it's all about the importance of taking breaks and taking rest and how the power of that can help rejuvenate you. Uh, and yeah, I think that's that's a lovely quote that you've shared. I want to switch on that path of dealing with setbacks. And you mentioned it briefly at the beginning, as the last independent environmental commissioner of Ontario. And I want to address for those who maybe don't know, uh, but the fact that you are a deputy leader of the Green Party of Ontario and to acknowledge all the great work that the Green Party is doing and has been doing for many, many years. And maybe perhaps with the time, a little bit of time we have left, we can chat about what you're so, like, what are you really passionate about that you think uh, the Green Party on their pillar is really impactful? Some of your commitments, you know, such as the roadmap to net zero, things of that nature. Is there anything that's just been firing you up lately in conversations you've been having with other party members? Well, absolutely. Um, I spent a, a chunk of the early part of 2021 working on the housing policy, which we're very proud of. I mean, even the Toronto Star, which is a liberal paper, I'll singled it out as the green showing the way on our housing policy. Uh, I spent much of the rest of the year working on the roadmap to net zero. And that is our climate and environmental policy, uh, which also includes a large section on equity. And it's, it's a great plan. It's the only, I, th I think it's the only political platform in Canada we've ever seen that's based on a enforceable carbon budget for the rest of the century. So the science has told us we have to have that. Um, we had the code red just this summer from the IPCC and yet, Nobody else is doing it. They're talking about 
um, some of them net zero by 2050, which is great, but that only tells you when you're turning the tap off. It doesn't tell you how much pollution you're generating between now and then, and that's the critical number. So it's a really great plan. Um, and the other thing about it that is so exciting is that there's so many ways in which we can have a better life by make, turning away from fossil fuels, especially in a place like Ontario. I mean, it's harder in, in Alberta where they make so much of their money from oil and gas, but Ontario is a fossil fuel importer. We spend 16 to $25 billion a year just importing fossil fuels and all they leave behind is pollution. If we kept that money circulating in the Ontario economy, we could have so many more jobs, so many more opportunities for young people, and we would reduce our energy expenses, increase the comfort of, of housing, improve air quality, tremendously valuable for health. So we can have happier, healthier, more prosperous Ontario by taking this moment when we're, we, we're forced to change, we have permission to change, we have the tools. It's not that we have to wait for somebody to invest something. Now is better than new. We've got the tools that we need. And what our job is as the Green Party is we provide thought leadership. We, we move the Overton window. We change what is what mainstream options are. We're not going to be premier anytime very soon, but we put on the table what the science shows us so that people talk about them. And once we talk about them, then it's possible to choose among them despite the obfuscation of um, certain of the other political players. So our good ideas show one really good way forward. And in the same way, you know, lots of people feel helpless and alone and don't see a way forward. We can show that there is a way forward that makes most people's lives better quickly. So then people can ask, well, why, why wouldn't we do that? That would make our lives better quickly and give us a chance of the future. I want that, don't you? Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that that's an ideal state, and you know, I appreciate your humbleness. I appreciate the intellect that you bring to this conversation and all the other conversations that you have. I've seen you speak before, um, and that was very inspiring. I've heard that from other people who I've let know that I was going to be speaking with you. They were all like, whoa. So kudos to you, uh, Diane. I know we're just coming up on the last few minutes here. Um, a quick question that I had is that if you had one wish that people could act on this, it's a habit that you think people could stick with, that, you know, you're waving a magical wand and this has become a new like policy or mandate or behavior change towards a more sustainable life? What would that kind of golden wish be for you? Bikes and food, right? Those are easy, accessible things we eat every day. Well, almost all of us get to eat every day and we need to get places. So almost wherever you live, there are opportunities to do some of your trips by bike. Um, and now that there are electric bikes for really any trip within 20 kilometers, increasingly, it's faster to do it by bike. It's, you know, not when it's minus 17, perhaps, but for most of the year, it's more fun to do it by bike. It's more convenient. It's much cheaper. It's healthier. It's better exercise. And you get to see what's around you. You get to see your neighbors. You get to see the, the neighborhood stores and so on. So doing more biking is 
delightful and fun and healthy and quick and cheap and in almost all respects, a great way to get around. Um, and, you know, even if you need to carry stuff, now you've got cargo bikes. FedEx just bought 50 electric cargo bikes in Canada. Um, and they're finding they're so much faster. They can make more money. So bikes are one thing. And the second thing, which we everybody can do some things about is eat better, eat better quality food. Don't eat junk food. It's obviously better to eat less meat if you can. If you need to eat meat, buying good quality meat, pasture-raised meat, um, grown through regenerative agriculture, it tastes better, it's better for health, and it does more for the planet. So those are good things to do. But those are places to start. Don't stop there. Climate change can't be fixed by individual action. Climate change has to be fixed by collective action. That's why it's so important to elect climate leaders. So I am going to give a pitch from my website, votefordiane.ca. We are looking for volunteers wherever you live. Um, we need people to phone folks, especially with COVID. And remember, action with others feels better than anxiety. The Our campaign's fun, and we might make a difference. So come give us a hand. I love that. That's that's amazing. I think that you hit on two excellent points that are so easy to apply in our everyday lives. Reduce the amount of meat, but also it's not just about meat, but being more conscious, right? Whether that's you're reducing your food waste, whether that's you're reducing um, processed foods so that you're eating more healthy, more raw, nature-based foods. Right, like that, I think is a huge difference that can often be overlooked. We live in a busy society where, and our society favors quick, convenient, cheap choices that are often not for your best interest. It's wonderful talking to you, Alex. Congratulations on your podcast. Thank you for having me as a guest. Thank you so much, Diane. It's been an absolute pleasure. Good luck later today. And I will be in touch to communicate this follow-up Best wishes. And best wishes to you. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. That was my interview with Diane Sachs to celebrate the initial launch of the Sustainable Kind Show. Thank you so much for being here, for giving me your time to hear from Diane, who is the deputy leader of the Green Party of Ontario. Coming up next this season and on this series, I have a lot of all-star guests. I'm super excited, everyone from the waste sector to eco-event planning to renewable plastics and just all crazy stuff. I'm super excited to share the next guest. In two weeks' time, I'm going to be starting to release these bi-weekly. You'll hear from Layla. She is the founder of W2R Solutions. Their work is crucially important as they help businesses understand their carbon footprint. And Leila, fun fact, and I are both MES graduates. So if you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more inspiring conversations, make sure that you check for The Sustainable Kind across social media. And if you like my voice, you can also listen to The Creative Kind, my sister podcast to this show. Thanks for listening. This is your host, Alex Leonard, helping brands talk about sustainability at AL Media. We are Sustainable Media.
This is Alex Leonard, host of the Creative Kind podcast and owner of the creative company AL Media. My business specializes in videos, mural paintings, and illustrations. From working as a radio DJ, journalist, illustrator, painter, and now video editor, I've worn many creative hats. So visit alexleonardmedia.com to work together.